Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airwaves, Mr. Rob Hayes. Merry Christmas, Rob. Merry Christmas indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, although it has gone slightly downhill, obviously, since the the two previous games for Leicester, but um, we'll try not to uh, to dwell on the misery too much because we're still second in the league, ten points behind Liverpool, and uh, and if you were offered that at the start of the season, I'm pretty sure you would have taken that. But um, even though this is the nearest episode before Christmas, we will have the uh, team of the decade specials out uh, in the not too distant future. But we do have to talk about two. Slightly disappointing results, really, against Norwich at home and against Manchester City away. A draw at home against Norwich, followed by the defeat at the Etihad. Um, if you look at it, the, the the big picture, Rob, really, which is a great position from the podcast point of view because we're recording after those two games and when you can look at it as a whole, it's not the end of the earth. If you're looking at a title race or possibly winning the league, it's not great at all. But... Again, if you take a look at how the league table is right now at Christmas, it's not bad reading in the slightest. Not at all, no. I can understand um, and I can share most of the fans' frustrations at the result against Norwich and the disappointment that we didn't perhaps get closer to getting a result against Manchester City. But if you do, like you say, take a step back and look at the bigger picture... um, to not play particularly well against Norwich and pick up a point at home is kind of the kind is, is the kind of the game that will happen throughout the season. You're not going to go and beat every team three four nil. So to come out with a point is is fine and move on. Um, because if it was as easy to win thirty eight games or at least the nineteen that you play at home um, as as you make it sound, then then there would never be any draws. You know, a draw against Norwich is is fine. Um, I think the first half against Manchester City was a little bit disappointed. I think a lot of fans wanted Leicester to to give them a bit more of a game and have a bit more of a go. But when you look at the fact that I, I still think when everything's all shaken up and we get to the end of the season, I still think it's going to be Liverpool first, Manchester City second. When you consider that and when you consider the kind of the sense of disappointment that we did feel after losing to Manchester City, it's a sign of how far we've come in, in such a short period of time. And we are now at the halfway stage of, of the season. If somebody has said, here's your Christmas present, Leicester will be in second place on Christmas Day, you would say, absolutely, I will snap your hand off now. I'd celebrate Christmas every day if that were the case. So, yes, I can understand disappointment straight after the final whistle, but I, like you, take it a step back take it into context of the whole season and go, we're in a very good position. Now, if we look at the first of the two games in itself, now, I don't want to have a bit of a rant because it's not that 
kind of year time of year really for for a rant well, just, actually I suppose it is really Christmas and that's <laughs> when arguments tend to happen but uh, I um th- there was a number of problems I actually I wanted to do a podcast immediately after the game because it would seem more relevant when talking about that one game instead of the two but the the Norwich game there was a number of of incidents where if you look at it now because time is a massive healer, even though just a week or so, and there's games coming up, and 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 they tend to then take precedence over over what kind of happened. But there was a number of very strange incidents in what on paper looked a, a very basic one-one draw at home. First of all, now when I left the grounds, I, in a strange way, felt more disappointed about Jamie Vardy not being given the goal, and rightly so because it was going wide. But him not getting that goal and then carrying on his goal-scoring streak, then, then possibly Leicester getting the three points. That sounds balmy, but it's kind of how, how I felt. But also, we didn't deserve to win that game as well. I thought Norwich played okay. I don't think they were anything spectacular. I thought the best two players on the pitch were probably their full-backs, especially the left-back, Sam Byron. But we, we didn't really have a, a meaningful effort on goal in the second half. So the final 10, 15 minutes where you go, right, there's one more chance. There's always that one chance. Didn't happen. But one or two incidents, which we'll talk about, especially the Iniacho incident. Now, not the fact that he played on from when he was given a ball from a throwing, because we know what happened. But it was basically when he was being substituted. Okay, that for me is one being substituted. Um, I've not got a problem with a manager making a substitution in the first half. I've not got a problem with a manager making a substitution to change a formation. But if you look at the whole scenario before the game, we predicted on the podcast that they would go back to the traditional formation of having the three players behind Vardy, as we've done most of the season. But they stuck with the diamond midfield. That worked so well at Villa Park. So first of all, a little bit of a surprise, but there we go. First 20 minutes, it's not working at all. It really isn't. Okay, so things need to change. Norwich score, and then we get slightly back into the game, and obviously the Iniacho incident happened. And then Vardy scores, although goes down as an own goal. Now, waiting to come on at the time is Damari Gray. Okay, now how many times has a team who are just about to make a substitution score a goal and then the manager turns to the substitute and goes, right, just sit back down for a couple of minutes. We're just going to readdress the situation. Also, very near half-time as well. So you're 1-1, your tail's up after scoring the goal. So let's just leave things as they are and go to half-time. And now I'm not telling the manager what to do here. You know, this is just me and my thoughts at the time. But no, they made the substitution. And they took took off Kaleci Iniacho, right? Um, apparently, for formation reasons. At half-time, Harvey Barnes comes on to essentially get the full formation up and running as we thought we might be starting with, the, the traditional formation for Leicester. But I don't agree with the substitution in the first place. To, to make one immediately after you score is odd. To then say it's because he wanted to change the formation, again, doesn't really stand up because you've just got back into the game 
uh, a few minutes before half time, what, seven, six minutes before half time. So a strange time to make the sub anyway, especially after you score. You take off possibly the liveliest player on the field. Uh, not an awful lot of control in the actual, but he certainly looked very sharp, very lively. It's obviously to do with what happened. In my opinion, I think it has to be what happened with, with the incident with, with him playing on. And it was it just didn't sit right with me all the way through the game, really. And it meant that we made the two substitutions just after half-time. And then we play the second half and we don't make the final substitution as well. Very odd. So Perez, who was essentially signed by Leicester to help break sides down who are sitting deep and to get that winning goal at home against lower sides in the Premier League, doesn't come onto the field. It was just a bit odd all round, I think. It was, and it, it, it was kind of... Um... It kind of highlighted the fact that Brendan Rodgers thought he'd made a mistake, which is quite rare um, because you, you don't see a first half substitution. If it was to do with the incident, then fine. But it, it to me, especially with the way that we were playing, said, uh oh, probably shouldn't have gone with this diamond. Um, I need to make the changes now. And, you know, there, there are merits to. <clears throat> excuse me, to keep in the same side that won, especially as we turned Villa over quite comprehensively at their place with that diamond. But Villa and Norwich are two different teams. They don't really play in the same sort of way or really with the same setup either. So away from home against Villa, fine. Uh, and and I was quite shocked because we were both saying on the podcast last time, we were, we were saying it's, it's got to be get the two wide men on and cause them some problems because Norwich try to play football. So soak up the pressure and spring the counter with with the wide men. So to then use two of your substitutions by half-time limits your options in the second half if you do need to try and tweak things or add some extra energy. And then to not use the third one was was interesting. As well, to say the least. And we've not really ever had anything to question Brendan Rodgers about on this podcast since he took over at Leicester City. It's all been very harmonious. It's all been very good. Um, But it was a strange one. It was just one of those days where, like you say, a few weird things happened. The football didn't quite go to plan. The tactics didn't quite come off. And probably a few individuals uh, nowhere near their, their best performance levels. And it it did just feel like a bit of a damp squib of a game, really, um, when you consider that a team like us should be hammering a team like Norwich at home. But that's if you take each individual game in, on its own merit. When you take it into the context of a season, like I said earlier, you can't win all 38 games or certainly you can't win all 19 home games. Um, so I, I take all of the points and I, and I agree with them. And it was just it. It will be an interesting one from Brendan Rodgers to learn from because yes, what was it seven or eight consecutive wins are great, but I think you learn more from the games that you struggle in and the games that you lose than than those winning games. So in in that sense, I think he will have learned a lot about his tactics, his team, and how not to let that happen in the future. Yeah, it's it, it's not me kind of complaining it might sound like that but it it was very very strange at the time and I'm I'm just going through got my um clipboard in front of me and I've got the notes from the game 
um, underneath the notes I've got for for the podcast, and um, and I've I've got you know bullet point uh, Iniacho liveliest player, bullet point Iniacho subbed um, after obviously the incident that happened. It, it, it just seemed very strange at the time, and um, but then again again we didn't we didn't. Uh, Deserved to win the game, in my opinion. It just felt flat. And again, the, the two wingers, Harvey Barnes, woefully, woefully short of confidence in front of goal. Uh, Damari Gray didn't work for him. And again, um, the the left back, Sam Byron, I thought was the best player on the field. For Leicester, Wilfred, indeed, he stood out a, a mile. Eura Tillemans didn't kick the ball in the first half. Uh, for the first 20 minutes at least, then had that shot that their goalkeeper spilled. And that was another thing as well. Their goalkeeper, Tim Krul, had a complete disaster of a match. Everything he did, he he either let spill into the penalty area, uh, miss and hit the post or couldn't catch or whatever, coming out of his goal at the wrong time. Basically, all aspects of goalkeeping, kicking, everything was completely wrong. I'm surprised Leicester didn't take more kind of pot shots from distance just to test him out in the second half. Uh, Tillemans had one shot that he spilt onto the post in the first half, but it, the, the diamond formation didn't work for Yuri in that first half at all. Uh, and 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 Pratt on the right again, it it a lot of the play came from that side with Ricardo getting forward. It didn't work out at all, but it it just didn't seem right. Um, also, you say about learning as well, and um, I, I was discussing earlier with my dad about what could possibly happen in January in terms of signings and I just wonder whether during that game you looked at Barnes and Gray the two players who came on for Leicester the two substitutions he made to get back to his most favoured formation and it didn't work and again again we've had that eight game winning streak and we're flying top of the league so to try and find things to to maybe change or improve on you know we're we're kind of um, really looking quite 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 sharp and in focus on one or two small aspects, but I just wonder that those two changes that he made because it didn't work and they had poor games. And I'm not just saying on the back of one game. I wonder if that would almost turn to the to the owners of the club and to the directors of football and say, "Look, that there, there we go. There's the weakish points of the side. If we're going to improve, if we're going to kick on and keep our place in this top four then they're the positions that I would like to improve on the basis of if you qualify for the Champions League, you're looking anywhere between, what, 17 and £100 million kind of minimum, depends on how far you go. So why not go and spend maybe that or maybe slightly less on one or two players and maybe those positions? So it, it could have been a bit of an eye-opener for the football club all round. And I'm not saying just replace them and never play them again to young players, but... If you are going to improve, and we've highlighted, especially Damari Gray, this season as, as as a place or on that side of the field where we really could improve. So y- you never know what what kind of a one-one draw against Norwich, what what the result of that could be, what it does to Iniacho's confidence as well. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. It was just an odd game, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the season we we look back on that game for a, a number of reasons. But there we go, a one-one draw, and uh, and we move on to the to the Manchester City away game, which I don't think really needs an, you know an awful lot really of discussion because from my point of view, Rob, I think we were just outclassed, outclassed. They I thought they played very well. 
and I thought we were just slightly off our game. Brilliant goal by Vardy. Fantastic goal. Absolute classic Leicester. Lovely ball by Barnes outside of the boot. And Vardy to do that. I thought he slightly over pushed the ball in the penalty area, but just managed to nip there in front of the goalkeeper. Brilliant goal. But we didn't really have another meaningful attack that was built from the back. One or two breaks down the right, especially in the second half, but only one or two. And I thought Manchester City were very good. And I'm quite glad, actually, we, we came out of that game with just the three... 3-1 defeat. It could have been 4 or 5. Maybe even should have been. Mares was on his on his game. was fantastic. Um, Chilwell having to deal with Mares, But also De Bruyne on that side. Not getting a lot of shielding from players in front of him. Maybe I think De Bruyne was just sitting back slightly from where he has been. Which meant there was kind of like a no man's land gap where Mares could drift into. And I thought Pep kind of didn't want over there on, 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 on Rodgers. And, uh, and the rest of the side... We just again didn't really have a kick in midfield. Indeed, he looking he was struggling with, with with everything that was coming towards him. Maybe Chowdhury alongside would have been a better option, but that's just hindsight. Tillemans never really had a touch. Uh, Perez as well. Ricardo, it was a penalty. Okay, Sterling's gone down, but there was contact. So I'm not really. It, it is soft, but it's a penalty. It is a penalty. Uh, it was it was a stupid challenge, but. Uh, Again, I thought they were good and we were slightly poor, but you, you kind of move away from that game and go, OK, let's just draw a line through that, away at the Etihad, and move on. Yeah, they were better than as simple as that, and they are better than us. I think that's that's a fact, um, and that is a fact that will be um, shown in the league table come the end of the season. All right, they've not had the greatest of halves of the season, most people would have expected them to be much closer to Liverpool at the top of the table. Um, but for us to be in a position where we lose to Manchester City and and just get beaten in a game of football, there there, there are not more. Uh, there's not much more to say about it. Um, and to still be ahead of them in the Premier League for Christmas is a is a really good position to be in because it, it's quite it's not been very common over in recent history really. Uh, since Manchester City's financial um, situation improved, that we could lose to Manchester City and still be ahead of them in the Premier League. So we've got to take some sort of um, positives from that. Really, first half, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether the Leicester players didn't uh, d- didn't play their own game as well as they might have, but but I don't think that was necessarily out of showing the opposition too much respect. I think it was probably a little bit of caution, um, but it was also the fact that Manchester City played really well, as you said, and Kevin De Bruyne had one of uh, had one of his best games in a Manchester City shirt, and he has played some... Fan- he's put in some fantastic performances over the last few years in between his injuries. Sometimes you've got world-class footballers on the pitch, and there's not an awful lot you can do to stop them. I agree with the um, Riyad Mahrez uh, observation. There was... Far too much room for him, but Chilwell had no choice. You know, if Manchester City are attacking in waves and De Bruyne is kind of playing in an almost an old-fashioned inside right position, albeit a few yards deeper, Chilwell had no choice but to come in and track him because Ndidi couldn't do that job because Ndidi had the rest of the danger coming through the middle. So Chilwell had no choice. He, he was doing the right thing, tucking in, getting close to his centre-backs, no sort of gaps for them to play in between the lines. But Manchester City switched the ball so well out to Riyad Mahrez 
who obviously got his deflected goal but had a few more shots on target and was causing a lot of problems, as we know he can. And and the problem there is you could say, all right, we should have got closer to Mares, but then you've got to get closer to somebody else and you've got to get closer to somebody else. If Mares was marked out of the game, then it would have been another Manchester City player that would have picked up the mantle and, and got into space on another area of the pitch. They're clever footballers and they've got one of the world's cleverest managers. They're always going to find space regardless of how well you try and close it down. I do think Barnes could have given Chilwell a lot more protection down that side. If Chilwell's picking up De Bruyne, Barnes should be 15, 20 yards deeper. However, if you do that, you very quickly end up with 10, 11 players behind the ball and then you end up with no way out. Uh, and Barnes was the kind of player that managed to release Vardy for the goal, albeit one of a, one of a, only a few chances in the game. So it's difficult because if you do pull an extra body back in there to deal with that, then you don't have, as I say, you don't have an easy way out, if you like, and you can end up trying to defend for 90 minutes, and you can't do that against Manchester City. Invariably, they're going to find a way through, and then you have to chase the game anyway. So on that sense, we were trying to play on the front foot, but I just don't think the Leicester players were allowed to to enjoy any composure on the ball. And I think that was the main thing. How many times have we seen Leicester play out from their own half against any team they like in the Premier League this season? And every single player, even the likes of Johnny Evans and the gangly Wilfred and Didi, are confident and composed on the ball. And they all trust each other. Didn't really happen against Manchester City. And I think that's partly, possibly down to the occasion, um, but mainly down to the fact that Manchester City are still one of the best teams in Europe, in the world and certainly the second best team in the Premier League right now. And we just got beat fair and square. And we move on to trying to not let that happen uh, at home on Boxing Day. It's it's an interesting uh, observation, the De Bruyne role, really, because uh, it, it's almost like they, they increase their potency on that side by by him dropping slightly deeper and whether the effects of someone like Alexander-Arnold and the way that he gets forward for Liverpool, but the way he also delivers from deep, whether that's maybe have a slight effect on De Bruyne with the fact that when you have someone like Riyad Mahrez, who you could probably say in terms of control is probably um, the best player in the Premier League. So if I was going to switch the ball from the far left side over to the right where Mahrez is. If you want him to control the ball in an instant and then attack the player, so to basically exploit the space that's around him and especially behind him, then he would be the number one player in the Premier League. We've all witnessed the control he has from a long ball to him. But because he's standing so far out wide, Chilwell has to go into that position. So first of all, that means that there is a one-on-one opportunity for Mahrez to beat Ben Chilwell, and we know that Morris has the skill to do that, to come inside probably and then take a shot or a pass or whatever. But because De Bruyne is sitting slightly deeper than you would expect, if you're Barnes or you're Ndidi, you're not going to come across that far because you're watching what De Bruyne is doing. So he's basically saying to Riyad Morris, if you're going to come inside, there's going to be a good 20 yards of, of room on your inside and slightly behind you because I'm going to drop back. If you want to give me the ball, great, because then I can then move into that space, deliver the ball into the penalty area, probably the best player into the, in the Premier League to do that. Or then Chilwell then has to come to me 
and then Mares is free in behind. Soyuncu then has to come across, and then you start the, uh, uh, the the movement of defenders around the field, which will obviously open space further on. So it's a really um, interesting way that that uh, that Manchester City ex- use their their two wide players or right-sided players in that, especially first half, and in a style of sitting back is is actually a better way of going forward for them. It doesn't work all the time, but. It is that kind of, and again, you look at someone like Trent Alexander, who's done so well at Liverpool by delivering the ball in, not maybe from the byline, from a deeper position. It was interesting, and I don't think Chilwell had an amazing game, but I don't think he was at fault at all um, for many of them, uh, for many of the chances that Morris had. The goal itself maybe could have got a bit tighter, but again, he knows better than anyone that he could have been completely wiped out of the game by a piece of skill and then you've got Morris running straight towards goal lucky deflection for them but the amount of shots that were coming in at that time any of them could have uh, took a deflection and gone in but again we move on and we move on to the game against Liverpool it would be a completely different scenario again you will mention that we're still ahead of Man City in the league Man City the the current favourites for the Champions League just shows you how good a season we've had so far that we're actually still ahead of them at Christmas after drawing against Norwich and losing at Man City. It's um, it's incredible, really, and I, I agree with you. I, I think that those two will be top of the league, you know, Liverpool and, and Man City, and fingers crossed we're in third. You never know, we could carry on a, on a really good run and, and, and possibly they might slip up with Europe. We'll wait and see. But uh, I, I think it really is a, a game where you kind of draw a line and listening to Rodgers afterwards and his press conference today prior to the Liverpool game, it is kind of behind the scenes. It, it almost feels like they've gone, right, line through that and then we move on. Um one thing though, Rob, <laughs> we move on to the Liverpool game. Now, in terms of predicting how Leicester will line up, we got it tremendously wrong against Norwich. Or, possibly, we got it actually right, and it turns out that the manager who got it wrong, which I think is the case after those substitutions. So, what lineup would you go with against Liverpool? Would you go back to the diamond? Would you play as they do, kind of away from home? Or would you actually just go, right, this is our team, this is the best way... That led, this is the best lineup that Leicester have. This is the best formation, the one that's got us into this position in the Premier League. And we're going to play our game and Liverpool are coming to our place and they're going to have to worry about us. Is that how you would set up? I think that's exactly what we've got to do. I think it's exactly what we should have done against Norwich. It has to be um, the formation that suits us the best. It has to be the formation that got those eight consecutive victories it has to be the formation that enables all of the players on the pitch to know exactly what their job is and exactly how to do it. Um, the the only sort of thing that bothers me slightly is is the fact that um, Liverpool's fullbacks do get heavily involved in the game, and you also see whoever's playing wide of the front three, like Salah or Mane, usually on the other side also occupying wide positions and we got very easily unpicked particularly down our left the Manchester City right the other day so that that worries me a little bit but the thing is we've got to we've got to go into it knowing knowing and believing in the ability that the players have and the ability of the supporters to drag an extra few percent 
out of them. There's free uh, free beer. It's Boxing Day night, so people are going to have been on the source all day. So the atmosphere is going to be even better than ever, I would imagine. Um, and you've also got to take into account the fact that Liverpool are coming back from Qatar, where they played 120 minutes in the Club World Cup final. The The journey is by no means a short one, and they took the full squad out there. So... You know, there is absolutely no reason and there should be no reason why we don't go into this game thinking we can win it, not we can avoid losing it. Um, We've got to go in and say, look, we're going to play our game. We're going to give it as good a go as we possibly can. We're going to try and win the game and see what happens. Now, it'd be interesting to see if Barnes features because he got absolutely clattered by Edison in the in the Manchester City game. If he doesn't feature... Is it a chance for Damari Gray to have a rare start and show what he can do? Um, Perez has been kind of in and out of form. So, you know, we're talking about starting with wide players. Well, I am anyway, starting about uh, talking about starting with wide players. But like you said, that the not the issue, but when Rodgers brought on Barnes and Gray as sort of game changers, if you like, in the Norwich game and didn't get an awful lot out of them, it does kind of highlight the fact that, OK, if you want to play with two out-and-out wide men, you've got to have quality in, the, in those areas. And have we got that? I don't know. I'd, I wouldn't even mind seeing Mark or Brighton make a start, especially, as I was saying, you're going to need some serious legwork up and down the wings in terms of dealing with Alexander-Arnold and Robertson or whoever else plays in the fullback positions for Liverpool. So I wouldn't be against the idea of Mark or Brighton starting. I think the midfield has to be... Um, Tielemans and Didi and Madison I think the back four has to stay the same I don't think this is the game to rest Jamie Vardy in as Brendan Rodgers has hinted that it was well, sort of more than hinted that he will over the festive period so I think it's got to be what we would consider our regular strongest starting 11 uh, with a question mark over Harvey Barnes and Iosi Perez as to who plays on the wings really yeah, I uh, you took the words out of my mouth with with Albright, and I would play Albright, and I've got him down on my. I've just squiggled down a little team sheet here. Your regular defence uh, midfield, I would have Albrighton on the left um, instead of Barnes. I would play Perez on the right, and I would have Madison in the centre, and then they can always swap round, rotate, even with Albrighton as well being quite fluid. Those three behind Vardy. And then obviously Tillemans and Ndidi in midfield, depending if everyone's fit and, and ready to go. But I would have Albrighton playing in this game starting, just to give an extra bit of protection, but also an extra dimension going forward, getting the ball in early. And it would be a good clash uh, with Alexander-Arnold on that side. So obviously he would be getting forward and delivering into the area that we mentioned, Alab, uh, Kevin De Bruyne in that game against Man City. But... It would be a, a a different proposition for him to face Albrighton than, say, Barnes, who would be very one-dimensional, very get-down-the-wing, stick out wide and, and try and drive into the area. But uh, I think Albrighton, for me, would be a better option. And then on the, uh, on the Leicester right, uh, Perez would obviously be beaten by Robertson in, in terms of Robertson getting forward and Perez probably not tracking as much. But... As much as Robinson's a very good player getting forward and assists in plenty of goals for Liverpool, I would worry less about the delivery from that side than I would do from the right, only by a slight margin. Uh, but also, 
in that instance, I would then trust probably um, Ricardo to then get forward and exploit that space with Perez more. Perez can then maybe move inside into a more central position and Ricardo could then turn into a winger. Um, and that can work quite well. So we'll we'll see what happens. But that's the formation I would go with. And I agree with you. We should, we should go from the front foot. Go and be the the team who are second in the league. Be the side and the formation that's got us into that position. It's going to be a great atmosphere, I agree. Everyone's going to be absolutely slashed before they get there. And um, then they get a free beer when they're there as well. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. Really looking forward to it. And also, it is a bit of a, um, a hands-free game. Okay, it was a draw against Norwich. But the, the, the defeat at Man City... And then you've got Liverpool at home. Liverpool absolutely flying. The most informed team in Europe, you have to say, or in the world after the World Club Championship win. So you're playing the best team in the world at home on Boxing Day. It's just going to be, you've just got to enjoy it and go for it. And then we'll figure out what happens afterwards. And I'm still hugely confident, if the worst comes to the worst and we end up losing the game, um, I'm still hugely confident that it won't actually make a real effect on the side, because I think the side is too good. And the players are too classy, and I think the management is experienced enough to deal with a couple of defeats in the Premier League, even though it's to the best two teams, you would say. Uh, so I've I've got no fear going into this game at all. I think Liverpool, I agree with, obviously, the the fact that they're travelling back from... from Doha from that uh, championships and that might have an effect I don't think they've been playing very well in, in recent weeks anyway and I just think it's the perfect opportunity to really get at them early as well first 20 minutes of course is always crucial but I think in this game really will be I'll be I, I think Leicester will come out the gates flying um, and I can see Leicester getting an early goal whether that will be enough in the game who knows? But I can see Leicester really stamping their foot on the game. I think it's going to be very feisty. It'd be interesting as well if um, if Hamza comes on at one point with the the tackle on Mo Salah, which was the worst tackle in the world apparently uh, in the game at Anfield, and then obviously Mane with the uh, the dive and and the penalty being awarded in in the last minute or in injury time at, at Anfield as well. What kind of reception he'll get? So it's going to be quite spicy. It's going to be quite interesting and fiery. Uh, on Boxing Day. In fact, the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm looking forward to it, really. Strange kickoff time, but again, it just means that everyone can be pissed before they get there. So, um, in terms of predictions, Rob, I mean, I would go with All Brighton. I would go, I, I think Leicester will score. I think they'll score early as well. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, Vardy creeping towards that 100 goal mark in the Premier League. Um, I can see it being a draw. I can see it being a Desmond, something like a 2 2. Even 3 3, I think it's going to be a game which, on paper, you can easily say, oh, it's going to be a rip roaring encounter, plenty of goals, plenty of action. But I actually think that's going to happen. That's going to be the scenario. So I'll go for a high scoring draw. Yeah, I've gone for a big score draw as well. 2 2 is uh, the prediction that I've made. I spoke to This Is Anfield earlier on this week, and that's the one that I said, just so that you don't think I'm copying you. Um, I think exactly the same as you. I think despite the fact that Liverpool might come into it with a bit of jet lag or whatever, they've still got an awful lot of quality in that team as befits their league position at the very top and, and comfortably at the top. But I think we will be at it from the first whistle. Uh, and I think we have to be, to be perfectly honest with you. 
Uh, and I'm also really looking forward to watching it. And I'm also rather annoyed at the kickoff time because I'm actually I'm back in Leicester for a couple of days over Christmas. And any other kickoff time on Boxing Day, I would have been able to make it to the King Power, but not eight o'clock. So I'll be watching it in Sheffield on Amazon Prime, but at least I'll be watching it. Yeah, oh, it's one of the Amazon games, isn't it? I'll be there. I'm there at, uh, at the King Power. Looking forward to it. It's going to be really good. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, again, it, it's not the end of the earth, you know, if it all goes horribly wrong. But uh, it'd be lovely to get a win, wouldn't it? It'd be fantastic. And and it means that whatever's happened against uh, against Norwich and, and Man City doesn't really count. You know, you move on very quickly in this uh, in this game. And, uh, and, and as I click on the... The dream team, the uh, fancy league. It looks like I've actually gone up a couple of places, and that is what we'll now talk about. Fancy football time. It's been uh, it's been a while. Again, the games come thick and fast, and trying to keep up to date and change your team around. There's a few people towards the top who actually uh, got a few. Uh, I think I've outscored quite a few actually this week. Anyway, we'll start with the uh, as per usual the top ten. Okay, in 10th place is Ben Melbourne with Vini Vidi Vardi, 1,065. So 1,065 points is 10th place. In 9th, it's uh, Panic Prevention, uh, Daniel Charters with, again, 1,065. In 8th place, it's Chat Shit Get Banged by Mike Oxlong with 100 and, uh, 1,080 points. In seventh place, FC Vladovic Barber's uh, Steve Curtin with, again, 1,080 points. Up into sixth place, Rob, up into sixth, it's Rob Hayes with FFS with 1,085 points. 54 points for you this week, Rob, well done. And down into fifth place, it's Loudmouth FC, Mark Perkins, Perko, uh, 1,090 points, which is five points ahead of you in fifth. Up into fourth. Gav Brown with Saigon Foxes, 1,092 points. Uh, remaining in third is Matthew Archer, Pedro City, 1,127 points. Down into second, there's a change at the top, long-time leader. Alex Ekonomu, video killed the Saudio, only got 29 points this week, and he's down into second on 1,137. And up into first place, it's Rogers, the cabin boy, uh, Daniel McCready, with 1,139 points. So two points split in the top two. So a change at the top of the table. We go down to Super Frank Sinclair, my team, in 28th place uh, on 1,012. So I'm only... 53 points off the top 10. So it is very close. Uh, I got 57 points this week. Terrible. I got quite a few Spurs players in my side and uh, didn't have a very good week for Spurs. The rest of the team did well. And I was looking for a, a couple of goals from Spurs players. Would have been really, really handy. But uh, they're at home on Boxing Day. So fingers crossed they get a few there. But uh, there we go, Rob. So you are up into sixth place, but Perko's still ahead of you. I am, yeah. I had a couple of dodgy weeks. Um, but back on track, I think, with the last couple of weeks. Um, interesting to see the change at the top as well with uh, Alex Ekonomu finally uh, 
tumbling from his his top spot. It is very close. I think the top three are, are quite considerably ahead, which is sort of mimicking the Premier League, if you like. But my new goal is to get back ahead of Perko, friend of the podcast, Mark Perkins. I can't I can't believe he's come from nowhere on a surging run into the top ten, and he's and he's dared to usurp me. I will um, be concentrating very carefully on which side I I select for box for the Boxing Day fixtures and for for Christmas. I don't know exactly how it works because it will count as one game week will be the twenty sixth and the twenty eighth at least, won't it? So choose wisely. Make sure you do your team as well. Everybody listening, I'm saying this just to remind myself, really. Um, but it's a very important stage of the season for the fantasy stakes as well. Yeah, just looking at uh, Alex's team, uh, Video Kill the Saudi, only 29 points, Son minus points. Uh, no one really got above, no one got double figures actually. He got Vardy in there, but uh, yeah, Son was his captain, so that wasn't very good at all. Um, let's have a quick look at Perko's team. Uh, he's got Vardy, he's his captain, so obviously goals there. Uh, he's got Kane looking through the side. Uh, Grealish scored, and there you go. Uh, so yeah, so that's uh, that's the dream team. So make sure you do uh, keep up to date with that. Um, also, on Twitter and on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook. We just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and we will turn up on there. So make sure you click like and follow and all that sort of thing. On Twitter, at FFSPod is where we are on Twitter. Now obviously games coming thick and fast. So in terms of having updates on Twitter, in terms of three word reviews and all sorts of bits and bobs like that, whether they appear or not just depends on the time, etc. Where you are with you know, Christmas parties and things happening. So if they're there, they're there. If they're not, they're not. But then again, that's the same with everyone this time of year. Hopefully it will be on Boxing Day because again, I'll be at the game. So I'll be able to put something on there. But uh, so do take a look there. If you want to send uh, an email for fox8podcast at gmail.com is the email address as well. So make sure you get in contact. And as you said, Rob, the, the games are thinking fast. Uh, West Ham uh, just after Liverpool as well. And then you go on to New Year's Day. Um, and then you go into the cup as well. We've not even mentioned the cup game um, against uh, Everton, uh, and then the the semi finals against Villa. So a great way to end uh, the episode, really. Um, a fabulous win against Everton. It's uh, a competition that Leicester and we've said plenty of times that we need to get a win. We need we need to win a trophy on the back of the league win. Just being in the top six or the top half of the league and the top four, especially now, is fantastic. And building the club up and up and up. But to to keep on banging out an occasional trophy every now and again, fantastic. And and also, we said a few podcasts ago about players maybe moving on. But if they're winning trophies here, then why would you go elsewhere? It could mean that players maybe stick around for maybe just an extra year or so before maybe moving on to another club, which players essentially will do. And... To go away to an Everton side who still had Duncan Ferguson in charge and to control the game completely up until their first goal and then it was kind of a hang-on job and obviously Baines from a million miles away scoring the goal and, and, and a comfortable penalty shootout win with probably the best goalkeeper in terms of a penalty shootout, I'd say in world football really, on the back of what he's done for his country and at Leicester. You wouldn't really want to have anyone else in goal than Cashfish Michael. But to progress to a semi-final and then get drawn against Aston Villa, who we've dismantled away from home, and over two legs you'd heavily fancy Leicester in a two-legged semi-final against Aston Villa, 
Wembley and you know touch wood and everything and I'm not uh, tempting fate here but you know clear your diaries for the 1st of March because it's it's looking good not saying we're going to get there but it's looking very good for a final appearance in a cup but it's just great that we've actually got to a semi-final we've broken the quarter-final hoodoo that's hovered over the club for 20 years yeah, to do it on a penalty shootout isn't a bad way to do it either, is it? Obviously, um, the comfort that we enjoyed for most of the game wasn't really reflected in the final result, but to to win it in a penalty shootout was um, quite satisfying, really, wasn't it? And it is um, genuinely a realistic opportunity to put a trophy in in the cabinet. And it is, as you say, building the club up is all well and good. Expanding the stadium, improving the squad, uh, achieving higher league positions, winning more games is all well and good. But ultimately, fans, players alike want to win trophies. And regardless of what you think of the League Cup, I think we paid it an awful lot of respect in the middle of the week against Everton in in the sense of the, the team selection. I think Brendan Rodgers identified that it does represent a genuine opportunity for a trophy. And it is one that we can very conceivably win. Yeah, I'd, I'd 100% back us to beat Villa over two legs in the semi-final. So a, a trip to Wembley with with something at stake is is not um, anything to be sniffed at as a Leicester fan, really. Obviously, the last time we went to Wembley was the um, Community Shield, which is, you know, it's a glorified pre-season friendly, isn't it, really? It was, it was great as a as a Leicester fan to to be there at Wembley watching Leicester play in what is in many quarters considered a competitive game but this where there's an actual proper trophy at stake especially one that we've enjoyed success in our in in sort of the the modern era if you like over the last 15 20 years um is a really exciting prospect and in a one-off game such as a final uh, as the league cup final against one of the big Manchester teams, you know, it's a one-off at Wembley with with a trophy at stake. You almost obviously, if it was Manchester City, there'd be slight favourites, but against Manchester United, you'd, you'd expect us to to give it a real good go. So it, we could have a trophy in the cabinet in the Brendan Rodgers era by March. That'd be pretty decent, wouldn't it? That'd be fantastic. It'd be, it would be amazing. I've got my uh, I've got my ticket sorted for the away game, and uh, and I'll be there for the home match at, at the King Barrow as well. So so I'm delighted and looking for. I remember being at Villa for the uh, semi final um, in in 2000 when we were drawn against Villa. My memories came back of the home game at Filbert Street when Elliot's played up front and he scored that goal where at the Filbert Street end there was a cross from the right. And he was running backwards and he headed it back the way it came from probably about 18 yards out, looped into the into the far corner. Fantastic header. I can see it right now. And um, and I was at the away game at Villa Park uh, where it was nil-nil. And there were, there were the songs, because Leicester were, were well known to be in a, a boring side at the time. I, I never really got that. It played quite direct with Elliot up front at the time. But uh, there you go. It's what you got into it. So boring, boring Leicester was the, the, the chant and that. But uh, yeah, fabulous draw. A, a great win as well. Um, also had a few bets during the game as well that it would end up in a draw. So <laughs> the fact that we got through made a few quid, that was nice. But it, it could have been easy. It could have been very easy. 2-0 up and we missed a few chances to make it 3 or 4. 
uh, which it just shows you as well when we were talking earlier about if it doesn't quite go to plan against Liverpool, I don't think it would knock us off kilter against other sides. I think that just shows you the game against Everton. Yes, it was a slightly changed side, but uh, it, it didn't really knock off. Uh, you kind of knock our balance in a way. Do you know what I mean? We still performed very, very well against a perceived, say, mid-table side. I know Everton are slightly all over the place, and what a strange appointment in Angelotti. I, I can't. I just can't see that ending well at all. I know the the plans came out today for Everton's new ground. It looks amazing, but then again, they've had plans for the last twenty years about new, you know, uh, grounds, etc. So we'll see what happens there. But a great draw, and we don't know what's going to happen. Fingers crossed. Obviously, we get through, and it'll be lovely to play. It'd be nice to play Man United in the final. Obviously, played them in the uh, the final at uh, or in the Charity Shield or the Community Shield. But uh, it would be nice to play. Them in red and us in blue at Wembley in uh, in March and again get that get that trophy as well and and turn around at the end of the season who knows what can happen with the FA Cup finish in the top four and say what a great season to win a trophy and to qualify for the Champions League absolutely fantastic and also as well if we're still in the FA Cup at that time it gives you it will give you more of a boost to then go and and, and possibly do well in that competition as well so fingers crossed and we'll cross those hurdles. When we get there. Um, anyway, that's it for the podcast. Unless you've got anything else to say, Rob, because I can't think of anything for this one. I don't think so. I think we've covered uh, quite a lot in quite a short space of time. Looking forward to the festive period. Um, and fingers crossed for a successful one. Yeah, fingers crossed. Now, next time that we're going to gather for the podcast, absolutely no idea. Looking down here, maybe the... 30th could be good but then we've got a game in the next couple of days possibly that could be an option because it'll be after West Ham and after the Liverpool game so maybe that just depending on whether you're okay with that but we'll we'll, we'll figure out that off air but uh, hopefully we'll get one in before the new year but if we don't then uh, happy new year to everyone obviously Merry Christmas make sure you enjoy the next few days I'm sure everybody will fingers crossed with the football and we'll, when we gather again Hopefully, we're still flying and looking forward to those semi-finals being safely still way in the top four, miles clear of everyone else trying to get in those uh, top four positions and maybe even slightly closer, Rob, to Liverpool. <laughs>